Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, the 30th Prime Minister, William Gladstone, the Victorian Prime Minister disliked by Victoria. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week and we're covering one of the big ones today. William Gladstone was Prime Minister between 1868 and 1874, between 1880 and 1885. He also had a six-month stint in the job in 1886 and then he was Prime Minister for a fourth time between 1892 and 1894. That's a lot to cover and here on Long History we like to ask a few questions about these Prime Ministers such as how they got into office, what their main achievements were in office and how their role as Prime Minister ended. So if you like the sound of that keep listening. We've also got many other Prime Ministers covered on longhistory.net, our website or they'll also be available on your podcast provider. So let's get going with random UK Prime Minister of the Week, the 30th Prime Minister, William Gladstone the Victorian Prime Minister disliked by Victoria. Here on Long History we've covered many Prime Ministers now, all randomly picked, and many of them ultimately don't seem to have amounted to much really. That's not to say they're not interesting, but if anything we're reminded that these people are just flawed human beings, not the best leaders of all time. We've covered many Prime Ministers with very short terms for example who almost landed in the job by accident, due principally to their excellent and often aristocratic connections. And we seem to have covered a lot of that type of Prime Minister recently, so when we randomly selected Gladstone and began to do the research, this Prime Minister came as something of a shock. Hmm, if we sometimes struggle to find enough to fill a 15 minute episode about some of these Prime Ministers, here we'll have to miss an embarrassing amount out. Gladstone was impressive in many ways. And he's the first Prime Minister we've looked at in a long time who even comes close to rivaling Winston Churchill and Robert Walpole for the position of best Prime Minister ever. And like both of these men he was excellent in the job for very particular reasons. Gladstone is one of the more famous of the Victorian Prime Ministers but he isn't exactly a celebrated personality, perhaps because despite his impressiveness as a leader he wasn't exactly a 100% likeable character. Nevertheless it seems he was a more upright, shall we say, character than Walpole and perhaps a more effective Prime Minister than Churchill. Churchill was great at winning World War II it has to be said, but if we take that away from him… Gladstone looks all the more impressive. We've covered a number of pre-Victorian Prime Ministers who seem to fall into one of two categories either they last a very long time or they barely last any time at all. Gladstone however epitomises a uniquely Victorian phenomenon. Men who held the top job for multiple non-consecutive terms. Now Gladstone holds the record for that having been Prime Minister a total of four times. That means four separate periods over 40 years. He was Prime Minister in the 1860s, 1870s, 1880s and the 1890s. Now this is almost inconceivable now. But actually during the Victorian era this was very common. Eight of the ten Victorian Prime Ministers had non-consecutive terms in this way. And yet since World War II there have only been two Prime Ministers who had non-consecutive terms, Winston Churchill and Harold Wilson. 
With his four terms, Gladstone holds the record of having four separate premierships. What was Gladstone like? Now, to my own surprise, really, I can't really remember having come across this before. Gladstone was an actively religious man. Moreover, he was explicitly religious. In that moralising, can we say Victorian way, he seems to have had a slightly hectoring version of religion, which can often lead to a temptation to search for inconsistencies and hypocrisies from such morally perfect people. Gladstone is famous for going against the usual tide of political people. Whereas, stereotypically, youth is associated with progressive values, which increasingly become conservative with age, Gladstone went in the opposite direction, becoming more reformist as he got older. But his opinions at the beginning of his career haven't exactly aged well, and this is because his father owned a number of slave plantations in today's Guyana and Jamaica, and he received a large amount of compensation when slavery was abolished in the British Empire in 1833. As such, when Gladstone entered politics, he spent this early time defending slave owners. However, it's slightly more complicated than at first glance, so we'll look at his attitude to slavery in more detail later on, but the noteworthy point in this introduction is that he changed his mind, and later on in life he would recognise slavery for what it was, seeing the abolition of slavery as an example of the majority being correct in demanding its end, and the rulers being wrong in their reluctance to do so. Another curiosity of Gladstone is his interest in so-called fallen women. He set up an association to help these women, developing an interest in bringing such women back to his house in an attempt to help them to mend their ways. This led to rumours that Gladstone was giving these women a little more than a good talking to. But the brief research for this episode suggests that these were just rumours, and that Gladstone remained a pretty upright and religious man. What was the historical background? We're covering 40 years here, and what's more, it's the peak of the British Empire. This was the middle of what has been called Britain's imperial century. So a summary is almost impossible, but here are some noteworthy things. The Suez Canal was opened in 1869, creating a shortcut between the Mediterranean and the east coast of Africa. During the time of Gladstone, Europe was taking part in its scramble for Africa, which from a British point of view, involved Egypt, East Africa and South Africa. Now of course, from a particular point of view, this was the heyday of the British Empire and the UK as a country. Gladstone's premierships spanned the reign of Queen Victoria, which in turn made him the epitome of a Victorian politician. It's strange that his moral rectitude also marks him out as a Victorian in this way, However, Queen Victoria apparently didn't like him, finding him a little too religious for her tastes. Gladstone's great political rivalry was with Benjamin Disraeli, who flattered the Queen by having her officially, by the British at least, declared Empress of India in 1876, between Gladstone's first and second time in office. What was happening in the US at the time? Gladstone's first premiership began in 1868, when the 17th president, Andrew Johnson, was in office. By 1894, when his last premiership ended, the 24th president, Grover Cleveland, was in the job. This 40 years was the era when the Midwest and Western states were organised, including Colorado, North Dakota and South Dakota, Montana, Washington, Idaho and Wyoming all became states during these years. 
Yellowstone became a national park during Gladstone's first tenure in office, and James Garfield was assassinated during his second premiership. Who could vote? There were very interesting developments during Gladstone's times in office, and one sign of Gladstone's change of heart, his move from supporting slave owners to supporting the working class, was in his support for electoral reform. Back in 1832, the Great Reform Act had extended the vote from aristocrats and the landed gentry only towards landowning professionals. But in 1867, just before Gladstone first became Prime Minister, this vote was extended to all male heads of households. It was a fundamental shift, giving the vote to working-class men for the first time, a vote which doubled the electorate overnight. It was the biggest change in the electorate until women were also given a limited ability to vote in 1918, which was then extended in 1928. What was Gladstone's background? We've already pointed out the phenomenon of non-consecutive terms during the Victorian era. Another trend more or less unique to this particular period is that of Prime Ministers being born in Lancashire. Three of the four Lancastrian Prime Ministers held office during the Victorian era. Perhaps it's no surprise that the northwest of England, during the Industrial Revolution when it was called the Workshop of the World, would find its place at the top of British politics during these years. Another what we could call typical Lancastrian angle resulting from the Industrial Revolution is that Gladstone's parents had a Scottish background, with people moving across the country to the industrial and commercial centres at this time. Gladstone was born in Liverpool, which was then part of Lancashire, in 1809. And how did someone from Liverpool get to become Prime Minister in those years? Well, Gladstone trod a well-worn path to the Premiership, being educated in both Eton and Oxford like many other Prime Ministers. He entered Parliament at the age of 22 and made arguments that were on the side of slave owners. Now, the issue wasn't quite as black and white, no pun intended, as it might be portrayed. Apparently, Gladstone wasn't against emancipation altogether, but he wanted it to be gradual with slaves being eased into their improved rights. Make of that what you will. Entering government, he became president of the Board of Trade in 1843 under the premiership of Robert Peel. He proved effective in putting forward legislation to improve the railways and to set up a central employment office for coal workers. He had a very long political career. In the late 1840s, the issue of free trade was very important as was the end of the Corn Laws which had proved devastating for the rural poor. Such momentous issues split the Conservative Party which was in power under Robert Peel, and this split led to a fundamental realignment of political groupings. One part of the Conservative Party, called the Peelites, eventually went over to the Whigs, and a new party would emerge, the Liberal Party. Although the Liberals only really are said officially to have begun in 1859, the 1840s and 50s were when these new groupings began to be formed. And Gladstone was at the centre of all this, being a member of this Peelite group which would eventually move over to the Liberals. This also confirmed at the same time Gladstone's move from the conservatism of his youth to the progressiveness of his later years. In 1852, he became a self-consciously prudent and moral Chancellor of the Exchequer. This was his first time in that job when he took charge of the country's finances. We haven't heard from too many Prime Ministers who've had beliefs, but in this case we can actually say what Gladstone believed. He believed that government had no right to take people's earnings from them. He did not like income tax at all. 
believing that any taxes should be on luxuries and not necessities. In international disputes, he also believed in encouraging free trade, believing that good economic relations between countries would make them less likely to go to war with each other. After being out of government for a while, he had a second stint in charge of the country's finances, this second stint beginning in 1859, when he steadily reduced taxes and duties, particularly between Britain and France. So, over these years, he earned a reputation for fairness, social justice, and as a man who enabled working people to take their shares of the profit in this booming country. He was slowly making his way to the top, and he became leader of this new Liberal Party in 1867, when his predecessor retired. This was the time when Gladstone's great rival, Benjamin Disraeli, pushed through that electoral reform that Gladstone had backed and fought for. Disraeli had read the signs and realised the inevitable, and that the party that pushed through these inevitable reforms would be the ones who would gain the votes in the resultant elections. He also hoped to take the wind out of Gladstone's sail. How annoying. How did Gladstone become Prime Minister? Disraeli pushed through these electoral reforms, and one part of those reforms meant that he had to hold a general election. However, there was a bit of a delay, during which time the previous Prime Minister, Edward Smith Stanley, the Earl of Derby, resigned due to ill health, putting Disraeli in the top job, until this election could be arranged. As we've said, Disraeli hoped to win on a tide of public approval, but... In fact, the opposite happened and Gladstone won, becoming Prime Minister for the first time. This was the first time that many working men had had the opportunity to vote. What were Gladstone's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? Well, this is where this episode begins to fall apart a little, because it's difficult to cover everything he did. It's enough to say that he was one of the great reformers, and his first time in office has been called one of the greatest premierships of the Victorian era. He introduced the concept of a secret vote in elections. He gave a wider range of people access to government and army jobs. Previously, they'd just been given to friends of friends. So now the best jobs weren't only and always reserved for the well-connected. He gave every child free access to a school place for the first time. And when he called an election, six years after he first became Prime Minister, to gain a mandate for further changes, he didn't reckon with that great rival again and Disraeli returned for his second time as Prime Minister. But the job would alternate, and Gladstone would return to the role of Prime Minister three more times, for five years between 1880 and 1885, for around six months in 1886, and then for another 18 months between 1892 and 1894. What happened during Gladstone's three later premierships? Gladstone's second period in office was marked by tensions with Ireland, he wasn't a great supporter of empire himself, but he became bogged down in battles that were taking place in Egypt. Queen Victoria during these years obliquely expressed her dislike for Gladstone. He'd been voted out after his first term as Prime Minister, but after his second term he actually resigned due to growing disapproval over what happened in Egypt, particularly with the death of one general. He returned to the top job only eight months later, however, this was because his support for home rule in Ireland meant that enough MPs came on his side to be able to form another government. However, this came with a clause that he should commit himself to trying to bring about home rule for Ireland and this attempt failed and Gladstone had to resign again. Although he was well into his 70s by this point, he would not retire. Instead, 
fighting for the rights of the Irish and arguing for old-age pensions, which would be taken up by future Liberal governments. Despite losing the 1892 general election, Gladstone was eventually asked to form another government by joining forces once again with Irish nationalists. However, by this time Gladstone was in his 80s, and he was increasingly seen to be clinging on to old-fashioned ideas. His fellow Liberals wanted to increase government spending, but he continued his lifelong resistance to the notion of high taxes. Eventually, Gladstone decided to resign for the final time, to be replaced by Archibald Primrose, who would soon be swept out of office by another of Gladstone's long-term rivals, Robert Gascoigne Cecil, the Marquess of Salisbury. Why should we remember William Gladstone? So it seems there were some great reforms at the start, then plodding on with issues that needed to be sorted out, such as Ireland. He was, ironically, the epitome of a Victorian Prime Minister, who was nevertheless disliked by Victoria herself. One thing that's not been noted so far is that he's very much the man who defined the Liberal Party, and although he's not his first Premier, he's certainly the longest-serving Premier. With that second Reform Act giving votes to working-class men for the first time, there is a sense that Gladstone at least of the Prime Ministers I've covered so far, was the earliest one who was on the side of the working man. He wasn't just helping out his fellow landowners or aristocrats. So it's quite a development from that slave-owner supporter who started his career to someone who argued strongly for Ireland to govern itself and who helped make Britain fairer for everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. It was particularly difficult to summarise William Gladstone. He seems to have been a huge character, not necessarily likeable as we said, but nevertheless very driven and effective. During the height of the British Empire, he was clear-eyed enough to see that the people needed to benefit as well as the aristocrats. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, Prime Minister number 30, William Gladstone. The Victorian Prime Minister disliked by Victoria. Goodbye.